I'm very excited about the Bible passage that we're looking at this morning, and it's coming from the book of John, chapter 11. Uh, if at any point I'm talking too loud, you could either reduce the volume on your PC or someone in here could raise their hands and I, I'll know I'm shouting. But yeah, uh, let, let me just put that out there. So we're in the book of John and chapter 11, and it's a popular story, one of which many uh, of you have probably heard time and time again, but I'm still confident that God will use it to speak to us this morning. And uh, I think it's one of Jesus's most spectacular miracles or signs, as they're called in the book of John, and that is the raising of a man named Lazarus from the dead. And what makes this a particular story even more special is that we're told Lazarus had been dead for days. And so when Jesus approaches the tomb to perform this miracle, uh, one of the sisters to the dead man, her, her name is Martha, she basically tries to stop Jesus. She basically says to him, look, this man has been dead for days. His body has obviously started to smell by now. Are you sure this is something that you want to do? And I can imagine Jesus looking at her and responding to her in a way that I think is very profound. But Jesus says to her, didn't I tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God. And I just think that that is a question that each and every one of us is faced with when we encounter difficult and complicated and sometimes uncertain, even painful situations in our lives. It's as if Jesus is looking at us and saying to us, didn't I tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God. And so I want us to begin reading from John and chapter 11, beginning at verse 1. It says, Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. And then I'll jump to verses five and six, which say something that I think is very, very interesting. And it says this, it says, so although Jesus loved Martha, Mary, and Lazarus, he stayed where he was for the next two days. Now, these first few verses, they're painting a picture for us of how close Jesus was uh, to this family. These are people that Jesus had spent time with. He'd even stayed in their home. And it's interesting to me uh, how the writer he seems to stress the fact that Jesus has a special affection for this group 
of people. John doesn't want us to miss the point that Jesus loves Martha, Mary, and Lazarus. These are Jesus' friends. And so they send this message to Jesus. They say, Lord, the one you love is sick. And I want you to notice that they don't even see the need to mention Lazarus' name to Jesus. They just assume that Jesus will know who they're talking about. And this again just tells us how close uh, this group of friends was. Not only Martha and Mary, but this man Lazarus, who's being described to us as being critically ill and about to die, is being described as a person who Jesus loves. And so this is, this is important information for us because it should be a reminder to us that even if we're close to Jesus, even if we're friends of Jesus, even though we are followers of Jesus, even though Jesus knows us personally, life will still happen to us. Our family members may get sick. We may get sick. We may face financial problems. We may lose our job. We may face relationship problems. We may get frustrated and may even get depressed. The point is difficult and challenging situations similar to what Martha, Mary, and Lazarus are facing here will come our way. We are not excluded from the sufferings and difficulties of life just because we have a relationship with Jesus. And yet we find that our relationship with Jesus can make all the difference when we are walking the path of life's tragedies. The fact that we have Jesus in the story makes all the difference that we need. In fact, uh, Jesus tells us this in John 16 and verses 33. In his own words, he says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. He goes on to say, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And so moving on, I want us to notice how Mary and Martha, they're showing us something that we need to do when we encounter challenging times. And that is, they send word to Jesus about their situation. And that's one of the things that prayer is for us as believers. It's sending word to Jesus. It's letting God know about the concerns in our lives. And what prayer does is that it prepares our hearts to adopt a posture where we can allow Jesus to come into our situation and do what pleases him. Prayer creates an anticipation that God will act in our lives even though we may not know when and how he will do it. And so Martha and Mary, they, they send this word to Jesus, basically saying, Lord, we have this complicated situation. 
we have a, a situation that we can't fix. Can you please do something about it? And e even as readers of this text, we have a certain expectation of how Jesus should respond when he gets this message from a group of, of people that are obviously very close to him. These are people that are obviously dear to his heart. But verse 5 and 6 will surprise us. It's telling us something completely different from what any of us will probably expect. It says this, it says, even though Jesus loved Martha, Mary, and Lazarus, he stayed where he was for two more days. And so Jesus is allowing Martha and Mary's situation, not to mention Lazarus's condition, to go from being just a bad situation to being a critical situation that's really, really bad. What do you do when God seems to be doing nothing about your situation and it seems to be going from bad to worse? And yet you've maybe even sent word to Jesus. You've been praying about this. You've told God about your situation and nothing seems to be getting better. It seems like God is waiting for two more days in your situation and he's allowing things to go from bad to worse, just like Jesus did to Mary and Martha and Lazarus. And I don't know about you, but it's in times like this when my belief system, my trust in God is seriously put to the test. It's in times like this when I'm challenged to really think about what I believe about God, whether or not I trust his word, these challenges come face to face in my face when I encounter situations that are difficult and complicated and tough. And so in my mind, I'm thinking how Jesus acts here is not what we expect friends to do. When we're in trouble, when we're in need, we tell our friends about it. We kind of expect our friends to act immediately to do what they can to help. In fact, one of my closest friends at Tokyo Christian University during the course of last year on one of the vacations, he heard that I had caught a very terrible bout of the flu. And I'm, I'm thankful to God at that time, there was no COVID-19, there was no coronavirus. Otherwise, I probably would have been quarantined and he would have you know, been social distancing. But I felt terrible during that time. I had a high fever. I had no appetite. My joints were aching. I was just in a terrible condition. And so very early in the morning, the following day, I heard a knock on my dorm door. When I opened the door, my friend was standing there with some water and some fruit and a bag, which I later realized was full of medication. When I took that medication, very shortly after that, I began to feel better. And so you can imagine what I was thinking when my friend left. I thought, this guy cares. This is a real friend. He hears that I'm unwell and he acts immediately to try and make the situation 
better. He doesn't waste any time. And that's what we probably all expect our friends to do. But we look at this text and we see that that's not what Jesus does. He hears that his friends have a problem. They've sent him a message and yet Jesus doesn't act immediately. And so there's a message for all of us here. It's showing us that Jesus often responds to us in ways that will not make sense to our human understanding. And so we shouldn't get confused. It's not because Jesus doesn't care. We're told clearly in the text just how much Jesus cares for these people. And so you should never let the circumstances of your life dictate to you whether or not you are truly loved by God. Never let God's seeming delay in answering your prayer make you think that God doesn't care. To be honest, uh, for most of us, when things are good and when God is answering our prayers, we feel like, yes, God does love me. Jesus is close. But when things are bad, when times are, are dry and God seems to not be answering our prayer, we tend to feel like God doesn't really care. But again, there's a powerful reminder for us in Romans 8 and verses 38 to 39. I'll read it for you. It says this. It says, I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. Verse 39 says, no power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Now, isn't that a powerful reminder to you that nothing can separate you from God's love? And so the point is, never let your circumstances, no matter how bad they seem to be, convince you that God doesn't care. What is it in your life that you want God to act on right now? What is it in your life that is taking longer than you expect? And so you want an immediate response from God. Don't let that situation make you feel like God doesn't care. But we might pose an important question. We might ask ourselves, why isn't Jesus acting immediately? He can do it. Why doesn't he just do something? We know of cases in the Bible, many cases in the Bible, when Jesus acted immediately for people that he didn't even know. He solved their problem right there and then. In fact, at times, he didn't even have to be present in the presence of the sick person. He would just say the word and the person would be healed. And I'm sure many of us in our own lives can talk about situations when we've prayed and God has answered us immediately. However, in this text, we don't understand Jesus' sense of timing. It's the complete opposite of what anybody else would do. But I want to suggest to us this morning that the reason that Jesus does this 
is not only because Jesus knows the outcome of the future, but also because Jesus has a very definite purpose to everything that he allows. And so this leads us to this idea of purpose. You see, the things that are happening in the story, and I will also add the things that are happening in the story of our lives as believers are being ordered for a very specific purpose. In verse 4, Jesus gives us a clue of this. In fact, he makes it very clear when he talks about this purpose. He says this. He says, Lazarus's sickness will not end in death. No, it happened for the glory of God so that the Son of God will receive the glory from this. And so the main purpose is for God's glory to be revealed. And I also want to add that another purpose is for our faith, our trust in God to be built up and our faith to be strengthened. In verse 14 and 15, Jesus says this to his disciples. He says, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I am glad I was not there so that you may believe. And so to Jesus the things that are happening in this situation, and I will also add the things that are happening in our lives, are happening for the glory of God to be revealed to us and for our trust and our faith in God to be built up and strengthened. And this idea of God's glory, it has to do with God's qualities, God's attributes, God's characteristics. And so what we're being told here is that what is happening in this story is happening to tell us something about who God is and something about his character, something about who Jesus is. And there are a number of these qualities or characteristics that we could look at from this chapter, but I, I want us to focus on just one, and that is Jesus's supreme or sovereign power. And so there are a number of these qualities that we could look at, but I just want us to focus on Jesus's sovereign power. In verse 21, Jesus has this uh, back and forth, this interaction with Martha, where she says to him, uh, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. Uh, in verse 25 and 26, Jesus goes on to say to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. And then Jesus asks her the million dollar question. He says to her, do you believe this? Martha replies to Jesus. She says, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Messiah, the son of God who has come into the world. This is a very deep and profound interaction that we shouldn't miss. It's telling us that Martha has this very great, this very high and elevated view of who Jesus is. Martha believes Jesus is the Messiah, the Savior, the Son of God. And we're also shown in this passage that Martha believes in Jesus' teaching of the resurrection at the last day or at the end of the world. And so we're being shown that Martha has a fundamental faith in Jesus and in his teaching. 
But look at this. Even though Martha has a fundamental faith, when Jesus approaches the tomb to perform this miracle to raise her brother from the dead, Martha still questions Jesus. She basically says to him, Lord, are you sure you know what you're doing? And isn't that just like all of us? We may say that we have this high and great and elevated view of God and his power, but when it comes down to the practicality of life, when God starts doing things and to act in our lives in ways that are painful or ways that are uncomfortable or ways that, are, that we don't understand, we often begin to question God's logic. We start to say, God, are you sure you know what you're doing? And it often takes the Holy Spirit to speak to us and to say to us, didn't I tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? And so Martha encounters a situation that requires her to believe God in a new way and in a way that is very uncomfortable uh, for her. What is it in your life that is forcing you to believe God in a new way? What has God placed in front of you right now? Whatever it is that is uncomfortable and it's stretching your faith and your belief in God. Could it be that God is stretching your faith and growing your trust in him from being just a fundamental faith and he is trying to develop it into something more? So that someday, maybe when you look back, you'll be able to say, yes, God did know what he was doing. When you look back someday, you'll be able to say, yes, God did have a plan. When you look back someday, you'll be able to say, yes, indeed, my faith did grow in that season. And so we've been shown from this faith that Martha, she possesses this fundamental faith. And I want to add that a fundamental faith is essential. We cannot do without it. We must believe in the fundamentals of the Christian faith. We must believe Jesus is God. We must believe he was raised from the dead and died for our sins. These are things we cannot do without. However, we're also being shown in this text that a fundamental faith is not all there is to our faith and our life in Christ. We shouldn't only just have a fundamental faith. We need a living faith, a faith that lives continuously in the presence of Christ. A faith that is alive and communicating and interacting with Jesus and listening for his voice. And that is what will help our faith to grow and for us to stand firm in difficult times. Lastly, I want to close with this. Jesus says to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. That's in verses 25 and 26. Jesus is saying, I am the resurrection and the life. And of course, the book of John is famous for these I am statements of Jesus. He's telling us that he himself is the resurrection and the life. He's saying that he himself is the very essence, the very power, the very energy of life. It's a very deep thought here. 
And so this means that Jesus can give and sustain both physical and spiritual life as he pleases. In other words, there is nothing in existence that exists apart from the power and the will of Jesus. He is telling us that resurrection from the dead and eternal life thereafter are in himself. They're in a person and this person is Jesus himself. And so the amazing truth for us here is that eternal life is obtained through relationship, through knowing Jesus, through a relationship with him. And so life after death comes by a belief in Jesus, by a trust in him and his supreme power to save us and the sacrifice he paid for us on the cross. And so if you're a follower of Jesus, think about this. This is the person who is saying that he dearly loves you. And he isn't just saying it. He proved it to you. He went to the cross and was crucified to show you just how much he loves you. He backed up his words with his actions. And so he's asking you, will you believe me? Will you choose to trust that if you believe me, if you trust me, you will see my glory and your faith will grow. Your faith will develop. Your faith will stand firm. Jesus has said to all of us, the one who believes in me will live even though they die. And so to know Jesus is to have resurrection and life and to believe in Jesus and in what he's done by dying for us is to have eternal life even though we may die. And in closing, I want to close with the question that Jesus asked Martha. I can imagine Jesus looking at her and asking her, Martha, do you believe this? And that's a question that's posed to each and every one of us. Do we believe that Jesus is the resurrection and the life? Do we believe in Jesus' supreme power? Do we believe in Jesus' sovereignty and his total control? Do we believe in Jesus' purpose and his timing in the way that he orchestrates our lives on a day-to-day -day basis? Do we believe this? And it's my hope and prayer that when we think about this, when we reflect on this, it's my prayer that each of us will be able to respond to Jesus just like Martha did when she said, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who has come into the world. And I trust that when we do that, God will strengthen our faith and help us to push forward and move forward in these times. Let's bow our heads and pray. Father, we're grateful for this word that you've sent our way, where we've been reminded, God, of your sovereignty, of your power, of your power over life, of your power over death, of your power to be able to order things according to your own purpose and your own plan, of your care for us even when we cannot see it, even when we cannot understand what is going on around us. We are assured that you care. We are assured that you love us. I pray, dear God, that this word may go with us for the rest of this week to encourage us and to strengthen us until we're able to meet again next Sunday. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.